Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out our website and social media. Now, here's our special guest speaker, Amberly Streetbeck. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 41. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and men. That's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your presence here among us. Thank you for your word. And I pray that you would come now and speak to all our hearts exactly as you wish whatever it is that you wish for us to hear. In Jesus' name I ask it, amen. So Ryan said, you know, Christmas Day is behind us and I know for most of the world it seems like Christmas is over, but for us in the church, the Christmas season has begun. It's the 12 days of Christmas and we get to move from anticipating the arrival of Christ to looking at the life of Christ. And, we have these wonderful accounts in scripture that, that tell us about the life of Jesus, and so we're gonna explore one of them today. The story about the boy Jesus at the temple has so many um, just relatable parenting moments. Um, <laughs> like, anybody here ever um, momentarily misplaced a kid? Yeah, mm-hmm, it, yep, okay. And you know that feeling as a parent when your stomach sinks out the bottom of your body and you just, oh no, where have they gone? And you know, you're in the grocery store and they wandered back over to the cereal aisle or you know, you're out shopping and they hid inside the clothes rack that you were shopping in, that was a fun one. Um, and so, I mean, we're, we're all with Mary and Joseph, right? When the, with the uh, anxiously searching, and you start asking everybody around, have you seen a kid this tall, probably some peanut butter smeared on their face? I don't know. <laughs> and uh, then when you um, find them, they're not lost. Like, what? I've been here the whole time. Why are you upset? <laughs> you know, I remember finding uh, Morgan when she was little one time. We had gone someplace in, in public, and um, I found Morgan, and she was like, but mom, this is the castle and I am the princess, and I had to come back to the, I mean, it just makes perfect sense to Morgan. And then it says, you know, uh, 
Then he went down to Nazareth them and was obedient to him. I mean, that obedient, that, that happens occasionally. I suppose that's a semi-relatable parenting moment. And then, of course, you've got at the end where it says that Mary, his mother, treasured all these things in her heart. I think that's a really relatable parenting moment when you're watching your kids grow up and the things that you see that nobody else gets to see, the things that you get to watch and appreciate about your kids as they learn and as they grow that, that nobody else really gets to know and you, and you treasure them. You treasure them deep in your heart. So there's all kinds of relatable parenting moments throughout this story, but I don't think that's why the story was included in the scripture. You know, we only get these very few glimpses of Jesus before his adult life and ministry, and they were included for a purpose. Um, and I don't, I don't think it was included just for the relatable parenting moments. It was included for what we get in verse, verses 49 and 50, when they, when they search for Jesus and they finally find him and what Jesus says to them. But leading up to, I suppose we should clarify at least just a little bit, you know, Jesus was 12, and in our culture, a 12-year-old is still very much a child, um, very much, you know, just going into junior high, still very much under their parents' watchful eye all the time. In this culture that Jesus grew up in, um, a 12-year-old is on the verge of adulthood. I mean, 12, 13, 14, you were expected to begin moving through the world as an adult especially men, especially young, young boys were becoming men. And so the fact that they could travel for an entire day and not know he was with them is really not all that um, remarkable. I remember reading this when I first became a parent and went, a whole day? A whole day? <laughs> they went a whole day? But again, the expectation that he would begin moving through the world as an adult, it's more like when my kid got her driver's license than it was when she was 12, you know, that she was coming and going at will and I didn't always know where she was. Um, also nerve-wracking, by the way. <clears throat> so, and it says when he was in the temple courts and he's exchanging these ideas with the priests, none of the, none of the priests and, or uh, the leaders at the synagogue were like, what are you doing here, kid? Go find your mom and dad. <laughs> because again, at age 12, it was expected that the, uh, as they were moving through the world, they would begin to seek out things of God and do so on their own and not just do so through their parents and from their parents, and, but that they could independently begin pursuing this um, interaction with God. So here's Jesus. And it says that they went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover, as was the custom. So I just pictured young Jesus growing up, and every year they go to the feast of the Passover. Every year they're in Jerusalem. Every year he's in the temple. And I, have you ever gone to a place that isn't home but feels like home? Have you had that experience? where you show up somewhere and you just know you belong. Maybe it's the people, the company, the familiarity, maybe it's the smell, maybe it's the safety, maybe it's the memories, but even if it's not home, it feels like home. I just imagine that for Jesus year after year. That in some ways they were leaving home of Nazareth to go to the temple and head back, but in some ways, this is where he's always been from. This is where he's always belonged. He's back in his father's house. He's completely comfortable there. So that's what he tells them when they're frantically searching. Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Now that is a little confusing to us maybe because we're like, Jesus was the son of God, God is his father, the temple is the house of his father. Like this all makes complete sense to us because we have the benefit of a couple thousand years of distance from this moment a lot of commentary and a lot of the rest of the story that Luke holds about the life of Christ. We know 
but they didn't. This idea of referring to God as Father was foreign and offensive. And so far out in left field at this point, there's not in a million years when he said I had to be in my father's house that they thought he meant God, that they thought he meant the temple. You know, I mean, they're just relieved they found their kid. You all know this moment where he's like, oh good, you're here. He said, didn't you know I need to be in my father's house? And they're like, yes, it's in Nazareth. Let's go home. <laughs> we got to get back. Um, but in this case, the, uh, the young man was right. Um, I asked Ethan's permission this morning to tell this story about him. Um, we were driving to school fairly recently, and I sort of periodically ask, I know, uh, I owe Morgan an apology. I did not ask permission to tell that story. I'm sorry. But I did ask Ethan's permission to tell this one. Um, what do I have to pay her? A dollar? Ten. Ten dollars. I owe Morgan ten dollars because I didn't ask permission. <laughs> it's steep. So, so Ethan and I were, I was driving him to school, and he, uh, we, were, we were just talking, you know, kind of periodically, I'm doing the parent, the mom worry check-in thing that we do. You know, how are you doing? How's school going? And Ethan said pretty much what Ethan always says, which, which I love. And, and it's usually something like, I mean, school's fine. I, I like my teachers. I don't like it when the kids are mean to the teachers, and I don't like it when the kids are mean to each other. And again, I'm the worried mom, so of course my next question is, are the kids ever mean to you? <laughs> this is, I've asked him this before, and he always just says, no, no, no. I think he was done with this question, because he turned and he looked at me, and he does his arms like this, and he goes, do I look like someone who would get picked on? <laughs> All right. Ethan knew something in that moment that I didn't. Right? I learned a lesson in that moment. Jesus knew something in this moment that his earthly mother and father didn't know yet. Because what Jesus is doing here is saying, I am one with the Father, right? I am God incarnate. I'm in my Father's house because I am one with God the Father. And um, so far this news has been given to us in Luke's gospel, it's been given to us by angels that told Mary, it's been given to us by angels that told shepherds on a hillside, by Zechariah who said that John the Baptist would lead the way for the Savior that was Jesus and that um, uh, Simeon recognized him and Anna recognized him. Other messengers, other people have given us the news that Jesus himself is God, but here is Jesus himself acknowledging that I, I am saying I am God, I am here, I'm one with the Father and uh, this leads us to, um, it's called in, in theology, now I'm gonna have to think of it, not a dilemma, a trilemma. So not two, three options. If somebody says, I am God, you got three choices. Either they're not God and they know it and they're lying. They're being manipulative in some way. Or they're not God and they don't know it, which makes them a lunatic. They're deluded, right? So you have liar lunatic, or they're right. They are God. They are Lord, that he is Lord. That right here, early in Jesus' life, he's only 12. And already we're confronted with this uh, question of what we're gonna do with Jesus. When C.S. Lewis talks about this, he says, I'm trying to keep people from saying, you know, oh, what a precocious teenager, what a cute kid, or what a 
good teacher, what an insightful philosopher. That's not an option. Jesus didn't say, I'm just a good teacher. Jesus said, I'm God. So he's either a liar or a lunatic or Lord. Or there's one more now, so it's not just a, a, a trilemma. Classically, it was treated as a trilemma. I've heard another uh, objection when people who um, don't wanna believe that Jesus was God and they say, maybe he's just a legend. Maybe he really was just a good teacher and his followers made up all this stuff about him being God and sort of put it back in the story when they wrote it down. So uh, again, going back to C.S. Lewis, I, I wanted to address that just a little bit this morning. Um, C.S. Lewis was a uh, brilliant apologist for, for the church and the faith, and he was a professor of ancient literature. And he said, people that were writing legends at this time, they, they were epic tales of very, very deeply developed characters of a hero who was fighting mythical beasts like cyclops and, and sirens and you know all kinds of things. And there was no such thing, no such thing as realistic fiction. That did not exist in this era. And he said one of the things that's true of art up and down history is as soon as there's a new form, it is mimicked by other people. Right, you have realistic painters and then everybody's painting realistic paintings until you have an impressionist and then everybody's painting impressionist paintings and then you have abstract and then everybody's painting abstract paintings. And this is true in every art form. It's true in painting, it's true in music, it's true in literature, that as soon as there's a new form, it's replicated amongst other artists. And he said there is no way, no way that a bunch of uneducated fishermen in the ancient Near East invented an entirely new form of literature called realistic fiction. They just invented that off the top of their heads for fun. And then it wasn't replicated again until like the 1850s. There's no way that that happened. That would be a complete anomaly in the way that all other art has developed in all of history. They don't write things down in order to make up stories. Unless, again, it's, it's mythical tales of epic modern. You don't write a realistic fiction that has real things. And he says the Gospels just have the ring of reporting. And they include random details like Jesus was asleep on a cushion. Why a cushion? I don't know. Who put a cushion in a boat? I don't know. <laughs> Why was it there? It's just this, the ring of just reporting what happened. It's not edited very well. It doesn't lead to the point that you would think an epic tale should lead to. It doesn't lead, you know, the, the crucifixion is not the ending you would give a hero's story. Nor really is the resurrection. It was so quiet. I know, I'm, uh, you're here in church on December 26th. I'm probably, I realize, reach, preaching to the choir. <laughs> None of you um, maybe need to be sold on the truth of the Gospels or the divinity of Jesus. So in part, you know, our job when we come together as a church is to equip, equip us for ministry to other people. Perhaps someday you'll get to be in a conversation. You know, maybe some of you young people on the verge of going to college will encounter somebody who has these objections. Maybe you have a coworker who's reaching for a reason to believe in Jesus and doesn't understand why this couldn't just be a made-up story or why Jesus isn't just a good teacher. So in some senses, I hope this is a gift to us that might be given to other people.
But also I know that sometimes, even people who come to church on December 26th, we need to be reminded that Jesus isn't just a precocious teenager or a cute kid and not even just a good teacher, that Jesus is God, that Jesus came and said he could save us and he can because he is divine. Maybe it's been a tough year. Maybe some days the darkness seems overwhelming. Maybe some days fatigue, failure, disease, death, loss, heartache, injustices, suffering. They start seeming like too much and maybe even, even we start going, really? Really did you come to save the world? Really is there a hope big enough to overcome the things that keep coming at us in waves? So I pray if that's you this morning that you are encouraged as I am in the story of God come near, the story of Jesus Emmanuel, the story of someone who was automatically at home in his father's house and who invites us there as well and made a way. Amen.